That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin with Career Contessa coach Shay Burris. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. Today's episode is the first episode of a special series called Black Women In, which will explore the specific experiences of Black women at work and beyond. And I'm Shay Burris, a corporate recruiting manager, career contestant coach, and most importantly, a Black woman. And I'm excited to bring this series to you. The idea with the series is to open up a dialogue by sharing the voices and stories of ambitious and successful Black women, including advice and knowledge sharing centered around maintaining resilience as a Black woman in the workspace. Joining these important conversations are three of my girlfriends, Jasmine Anderson, Stephanie Kimu, and Nevia Bradshaw. And now, this is The Females. Well, hi, ladies. Welcome to The Females. I want to start by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves and what you do. Jasmine, let's start with you. Hi, my name is Jasmine. My background is in human resources. I've been in human resources for 13 years in a generalist capacity, but more recently specific to benefits. Hi, everybody. I'm Stephanie Kimu, and I'm the founder of an international development consulting firm called PopWorks Africa. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Navia Bradshaw. I've been working in retail for a while now and been in marketing for almost 10 years. So excited to be here today. Hi, I'm Shay. I'm a corporate recruiting manager. I've been in this industry in HR and recruiting space for about 10 years, currently working in the fashion industry. Amazing. Well, welcome everybody to The Females. We're so thrilled to have you here. So the goal of this special podcast series is to share your experiences as Black women. And today our focus is on the overall workplace. So I'm just kind of curious, what's the first thing that comes to mind and why when you hear, quote unquote, Black women in the workplace? And I'll let anyone start. So first things that come to my mind are silent, lonely, few and far between, and think first, answer second. So those are kind of a couple of phrases to me that when I think of Black women in the workplace, honestly, it's connected to my entire career, sort of looking around my workplace and being the only or one of the only Black people and more specifically Black women in my workplace. And even within the smaller group of Black people and in the companies I've worked in previously, um, being you know 10% or less than 10% of the total population of my organization, figuring out how to connect and find an alliance and and find a group of allies without being seen as a clique. Clique of Black women in a workplace institutes fear in our counterparts and figuring out 
how to, and, and going back to the think first answer second, is um, as Black women in the workplace, honestly, we have to be really careful of our tone, our diction, our word choice when speaking around white people, to be honest. And ultimately, it's 100% based in white fragility. I've been in a corporate America for goodness, 13 to 14 years and it started at 16 and I was the only black woman on my team of in a company of that of 45,000 employees. I mean, that, when you think about the margins there, that is, it's uncalled for, right? It's pretty, you look around and it's pretty ridiculous. And then you start to think about, well, what kind of company am I working for? And then you hop, right? You try to find a like-minded entity and you find yourself in a very similar situation. And so when you said few and far in between, the only, that is exactly right. That's been my experience since I started. Also, underdeveloped was a word that came to mind. So often, managers tend to lean into employees in which they feel more comfortable with, who have the same cultural values, have the same background, and they choose to develop those employees. They choose to invest their time in those employees. And often, since we don't have those Black leadership members that Black women can look up to in the workforce, we are very much underdeveloped in comparison uh, with the majority. Yeah, I love this question. And for me, a second part that I would add is perspective and whose seat you're sitting in. Because from my seat, when I think about women in the workplace, I think of people like Shay. I think of people who are recruiters, designers, really passionate, so empowered in every day, just trying to make an impact and a difference. But I think from the other side, unfortunately, a lot of times the perspective is that person who, you know, we're maybe a little intimidated by or not like, or they didn't go to college the same colleges that I went to. So I have no idea how to connect with them about sports or weekend, things like that. So I think it's important that we talk to both sides of the perspective because we are, I think, I've, I'm so fortunate to have a network of girlfriends who are powerful and making str- huge strides in their career. But then on the other side, I really do wonder sometimes what it looks like from our counterparts in the workspace. Mm, yes. I feel like what you guys are saying is like, white culture is something we have to master to like be able to survive. And then if you really can master white culture, then you'll thrive. But I, right. (laughs) But I don't like white culture. Like I don't like the stuff they do. I don't think it's fun. I don't enjoy, I don't keep key. And it's like, you do feel yourself lagging behind because you don't share the same culture, Mm -hmm. the same desire to go kayaking. I don't, you know, dog stuff, nope. you know, even like the food, like, they, they, like people get clicky about like the food and you're like, oh, everyone's vegan. And like, how, how what next? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, what yeah. part of white culture do I need to like master next yeah. to feel like I'm advancing? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. as a consultant, that is how all my clients are white women. They, they want you to be their friend. They want you to come to their baby shower. They want you to, they want to be friends with you so they can feel close to you to hire you as a consultant. It's been really hard to navigate not having white culture in common with the women at the top of all these foundations. And so it's just like, do I just say, Hey, I'm not into it. You know, I I don't want to do all of these things. That's a really great point, Stephanie. I think what happens is people 
like default to their, you know, normal setting of people who are mostly around their lives instead of trying to discover relationships through empathy or through maybe a different consciousness of our differences, not an adversarial, you know, exploration, but more of something like, well, this person is a woman, so maybe she's a sister. This, You know what I mean? How do you get, how do you find ways to connect with someone that is not necessarily rooted in a defined and shared culture? Dominant culture. Yeah, exactly. Yep. What you find is that Black women do the work to learn the white culture that we don't necessarily subscribe to, to be included. And so we feel like we have to learn what veganism is and like kayaking and all the things that we're like, no, thank you. But you don't see the same reciprocity from your white counterparts. You know, you you see a lot of stereotypes pushed upon you. And that's their way of connecting with you is not by figuring out what type of Black women you are and what type of Black family and Black culture you come from, but ultimately what they think they know about your Blackhood, then they tell you. And you're like, nah, not so sure, not really right. And I think in addition to what I would say, when you do the opposite, which is finding the three other Black women that work at your company and connecting to those Black women, you then become the clique. You then become the angry Black woman. That's too much. Yeah. It's terrifying to the point where in my former company, I did find two other Black women that in my HR group said, I'm like, oh, thank God. Some Black women that are, at the time, they were more successful than I was. I was still kind of coming up. And we were all sort of feeling frustrated and feeling unheard by our white leaders And ultimately feeling like some of the company wasn't doing right by us, especially within the HR space. And what was really kind of maybe a little shocking for me, because I was also new to LA, so I'm trying to find my community as a whole, regardless of Black women, HR, first fashion career, I actually was told by my leader that I needed to distance myself from these Black women because they were considered negative. And if I wanted to further my career, the thing that I had to do was be over here. And the negativity was frustration of, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm here to do. I'm not being heard to do those things. And I'm a little annoyed. And then finding solace in someone who is similar to you. And that was considered terrifying. And then I needed to distance myself if I wanted to see what a future looked like at that company. Yeah. I I just, just to add to that, when you started and you had mentioned that often even white women, I'm going to use the example of white women because I've had two, actually all of my, all of my bosses have been white women. And often the way in which they try to liaise with you is the colloquialisms. Like they try to like the, Hey girls. And the, Oh yeah. Yes. yes queen. Oh, yeah, yes. The yes. yes and the, oh. Touch your hair. Oh, make oh, it offensive. You know, and, and you, you, you mentioned that that's their way of, you know, trying to develop our relationships with their relationships with us. But often we, every single day, we are making concessions for the majority. We are making excuses or passes or, okay, I'm not going to confront that today. Or is this confrontable? This is totally confrontable. Is it worth confronting? Probably not. She's not going to learn. No one's going to do anything about this. No one's going to be reprimanded or held responsible. I mean, this is literally the thought process that Black women go through every single day, just walking to their desk in the morning. That has to change. And I have to be an example 
of that change because just recently in light of BLM and just a couple of days after George Floyd was murdered in the street, my boss had sent me something that was quite, it, it was beyond inappropriate. And not only was it inappropriate, she felt comfortable enough doing it and then probably knew that it was inappropriate and therefore followed up with the, is this offensive? I was just going to add on, I think that's been the most uncomfortable part of this entire situation is it's almost like mansplaining, but whitesplaining where people are like, hey, like you've realized you've been black for all 33 years of your life. But I just woke up this morning and was like, oh, she's the one black person that I know. So I'm going to text her. And then you get 42 texts. <laughs> 42. I counted. And I appreciate it. I mean, it's I know that it's coming from a place of wanting to connect and wanting to understand. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I am assuming guilt, but it's it makes it even more challenging when you're focused on having a conversation that's rooted in guilt instead of a conversation that's rooted in like earnesty and wanting to move forward. Education, right? (laughs) Yes. I'm also not here to tell you how you can be a better white person to black people. You figure yeah. out how I haven't been, I've been taught from birth how to be a black person in a white mm-hmm. person's world. You have to adjust. To white yeah. The fragility out. is what's going to really kill me. I mean, I've yeah. had white women who I've said, you have perpetuated white supremacist culture in our professional relationship. I couldn't say that. I didn't have the language to tell you it when it was happening. I'm saying it now. And you're crying to me. Now you're crying. Right. To me. Right. <laughs> because right. of your, the white supremacist culture, yeah. I'm calling out. To me, you're crying. And it's just like, Shay, you know the long email that I received from a colleague who was just like, the things you're posting on Social media are really upsetting me. And I think it's a dig at me personally. And now I'm really upset. It's like, shit. I'm like, glad that you mentioned that stuff. I was actually going to ask you because I, you know, I, we, I follow you and yeah. I, I admire one. I completely admire how uh, boundaryless you are, how mm. very authentic you are. There was one post, <laughs> and I am in a, in a racial relationship. I, I date a, a white and, and Hispanic woman, a white and Mexican woman, and even she Hispanic. found it like, hell yeah, she absolutely should put that. <laughs> but can I say <laughs> something? You were asking for a pardon. You were like, you were saying, you know what? Don't this do is this. My face. Don't yeah. contact me right now. But you know what white women love is to be dragged. When you drag them through these internet streets, they're like, more, I want to feel worse. Tell me more. Tell me more about myself. And it's just like, wow, this is crazy. So the more I, like, I'm starting to get all of my followers are white women because I'm now like a teaching moment on social media. And it's just like, wow. Like the white gaze doesn't take any breaks. Mm -hmm. Like the white gaze is on the internet, at work, at, you know, on the airplane, everywhere. It's like, it's burning the shit out of me. I don't know what you guys think, but I just feel like, you know, Toni Morrison says the white gaze is a little white man sitting on your shoulder, Mm -hmm. looking at everything you do. Mm -hmm. And that shit is real. That Mm -hmm. stuff is real. That is a real, that's true. Right. Like, and there's so many ways the white gay shows up at work. It's right. uh, it's debilitating. When you're right. the softer of black women in the organization, so one that is amenable and is pretty positive, and you can sometimes mm-hmm. forget that she's black because 
she talks well, quote unquote, she watched The Bachelor with you guys. Then you get the damn gumption to ask me. <laughs> you are dumb. She can unpack what is it? Uh, uh, big brother. They love The Bachelor. All the white, the, bachelor. No, the Bachelorette. The white girl. The all, every one is a white girl. That's like one and 27. Now white you feel girl. comfortable because you're not going to get dragged by that person. So it's like either drag me or can you take my hand? and lightly walk me across what the path <laughs> slavery looked like. And that's what my experience has been in the workplace. It's just mm, silly. And walking them across the street right. and helping them understand what slavery looked like. Why do I have to tell you that? What public right. system didn't you get to like, read through? Well, we didn't. We didn't get it either. We didn't get it either. Who, who educated no, us about our, about our Black heritage? Our no. parents, we were self-sufficient. We went looking because clearly Christopher Columbus didn't resonate with us. Right. Clearly, you know, even uh, it depends on where you're from, but even Native American heritage didn't resonate with us. I mean, there was no outlet. I know. So, so and, and I'm not mm. and I'm not saying that to make a pass at all. What I'm saying is I don't just educate myself about black history, but I can educate myself about history. All over the world with my education. I am not going to be confined to the uh-huh. United States of America. And so if I can do that and if I can be self-sufficient in my research, in my study, and I'm a human being, I'm a citizen, I'm a part of the collective consciousness of this earth, then I expect my counterparts to do it too. Period. The whole time they just learned what Juneteenth is in 2020. Just learned. Stop. The Juneteenth thing <laughs> killed me. Everyone was like, let me educate you on Juneteenth. I was like, I'm from Texas. And then we just now white girls, white girls were reposting the Juneteenth. This is what Juneteenth is. Yeah. This is why we should. Girla, did you just learn what Juneteenth was this morning when you opened Instagram? Me. He was like, we're going to make it a national holiday for our company. So you get the day off. And I was like, well, perfect, because I got plans. But this isn't a new thing. Juneteenth was established today. I learned this right now. This has been hundreds of years of our freedom as Black people. And it's just like, I was like, okay, no problem. Let's talk about this one now. We got a couple more down the line. <laughs> but I just had a question. I know that we're, we are talking about the Black female experience within corporate America, but I'm curious to know how you ladies experiences more recently in light of George Floyd slain and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. And now that employers want to pivot and they actually want to make public statements or they want to now institute diversity and inclusion initi- initiatives within their companies. What is your experience like? Are you being called upon? How are you feeling? I'll go. Uh, this has been something that I have been struggling with. I talked to Shay about it. For me, I appreciate that people are now giving audience where they hadn't before. And I appreciate that people want to learn and people are curious and people are contrite. But I think what is challenging is we're still replicating some of the behaviors that were norms, right? I know of a company where the panel that actually led the BLM efforts, all of the people who BLM efforts in terms of response on social media were all white. This was an issue for me because here it is again, there are, there are plenty of people on the team who could have spoken to 
you know, more authentic narratives or what the response should have been, or they could have been a great sounding board. But unfortunately, the default was to go to the other teammates. And I think we really have to, to be careful because I think that's what systematic racism is just that it's systematic. And so long as we keep replicating the molds and the structures that have been destructive, honestly, in our culture for so long, the more we're going to continue having this haphazard listening, but not listening, hearing, but not feeling existence. And so it's been challenging. Let's take a quick break to talk about issue. When you're in creation mode, the last thing you want to do is worry about last minute nitpicky details. You know what I'm talking about. You're done editing your marketing materials, your blog posts, or your Instagram posts. And now all that's left to do is to reformat it for a gazillion platforms. Yeah, nobody likes that. This is where Issue comes in. Issue is an all-in-one platform created to distribute all of your digital publications across all platforms. It's perfect for creators, marketers, designers, and even salespeople looking to create eye-catching content. Simply upload your PDFs and files and Issue will transform them using your vision and customizable templates to create the content you want. Super, super easy. Another awesome perk, Issue is used by millions of people looking to discover beautiful new content. Reach them all when you publish with Issue. Best of all, it's totally free to get started with Issue. Go to Issue, and they've got a funky spelling. It's I-S-S-U-U dot info slash females to sign up for your free account. That's issue, I-S-S-U-U dot info slash females to sign up and let them know that you heard about it from our show. So just remember it's dot info, not dot com. Go to issue dot info slash females to set up your free account today. All right, now let's get back to the show. How do you want to see the future of work work better for Black women? And, you know, words of wisdom that maybe have helped you in your careers thus far and, and moving forward. It always starts kind of soft right now. <laughs> so now that we're talking about words of wisdom. I'm like still struggling. I need words of wisdom. <laughs> And that's fair. That's fair. Don't to have do. <laughs> oh, that is actually a point. Who just said that, Jasmine? <laughs> you, that is so true. I feel like what I wa- wish I had known in my youth, in my, in my early 20s professionally, is to not try to be the black woman who knows everything because white people will put you, you'll get more work. You'll, you'll become the diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist and the policy analyst and all of these things, and you'll get so boxed in, and and as people are advancing and educating themselves and doing the professional development, you're too busy doing free work in the office, and then you lose out on opportunities, and so I guess I just wish I had been like, I had normalized sooner in my career. I don't know, and actually, it's not my job to know that, just because I'm the only Black person on staff. I'm not a diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner. I'm not a DNI strategist. I'm just black. And I, I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> like, I so I feel like we normalize saying, yeah, I don't know. And don't put that on me. I noticed that I wasn't doing this earlier, but this is Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> I 
if you don't know, now you know. I know. <laughs> a name drop. Um, hey. no, I, <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, I completely agree. I think that's what a lot of Black women, and I'm going to speak for myself, is experiencing right now. I organically became very much involved with diversity inclusion efforts by a raise of the hand in, back in 2017. With only having the real, the, my only real background, of course, is I know how to hire people. I know how to develop people. I know, I, you know, I know the HR functions, right? And then plus I have black experience. I'm a black woman. I think that a lot more women now in light of BLM are being tapped, are being questioned, are being brought to the table. Can you please guide us here? What is your, you know, uh, what is your input here? I completely and 100% agree. Going back to what I said earlier in the conversation is hire Black women. We do not have Black female presence in corporate America. We don't have a Black female presence in the top Fortune 500 companies. I think Lowe's is the only Fortune 500 company that has a Black leadership member. Xerox or something. And Xerox, yes. And she's new as of, oh, and I think Bain. Bain may also be consulting. I think she's new as of 2019. My point there, and I would just like to share something with you all, is that Nielsen did a survey back in 2019, and they found that 64% of Black women in the United States agree that their goal is to make it to the top of their profession. That's nearly double of the percentage of non-Hispanic white women with the same goal. Okay, so you see here that Black women are naturally aspirational. <laughs> we are naturally, we naturally mm-hmm. want to want to lead. And it also speaks to our economic makeup, where you find that there are more Black female entrepreneurs, business owners in the United States of America than any other race. race. Yeah. That speaks volumes. Yep. I think so when like 2% of investments or like less than yes. 0% yes. of yeah. VC capital funding. And it's like, so we're doing this all on our own most of the time when our Absolutely. on our back. Absolutely. So hire and develop Black women. I've spoken to too many recruiters that say, oh, well, I just can't find the Black female talent. This community or this specialty is too niche. Go to them. Take yourself out of your box. Find a way to partner with HBCUs, partner with community organizations that have a Black presence or doing work in Black communities. Take yourself out of the comforts of your friends and the comforts of your candidate pipeline that you're just so accustomed to. It's not working. The first visible change that you can do is to hire Black women. Develop Black women. Black women, again, aspirational. 64% of us Mm -hmm. want to make it all the way to the top. And we will do what it takes to get there. We are educated. We have the most president. We, we have, I mean, but these are facts and people, we like to, we like to, you know, guys over the facts or just completely ignore them and we stick to our silos. And so I challenge corporate America to do something different. Don't wait, figure it out. Go to black communities, go to black communities. We have voices. We want to be heard. Yes. And start following people like that. That's why I tell my colleagues, you can, if you do you have Instagram, do you have Twitter? then you have a, an abundant source of black intellectuals, black researchers, black media people. And like, I know these white women I work with, they only follow other white women. And then they're only friends with other white women. And then they only have play dates with other white people. It's like they don't, they compartmentalize their professional and their personal 
and they don't see the value of people of color in all spaces. They're like diversity in in my office. Yes, I see the value in that diversity of thought, diversity of experiences. But on my whole, me and my white community, we good here with the diversity. But you know what I mean? And so it's like, they're always looking for black women, medical fields, whatever. It's like, we're not unicorns. I mean, we're unicorns, but <laughs> we are, we exist, right? Ugh. As the person who actually does hire people. So I know like part of that is you are talking to me, but I have always said that recruiting was not my choice, but it was my destiny. It's not something that I thought I was going to do, thought I was going to be in. And it's something I landed in. And I realized that once I got here, that why I was here. I'm a Black woman. I'm a woman who went to an HBCU. I'm a woman from a lower middle class area in Maryland. I'm a woman who grew up amongst diversity in neighborhood, not necessarily diversity in understanding. And so my place was to infiltrate, essentially fashion and retail and start to see the people that I know and I have and I went to school with that are talented, amazing human beings, some of which are you ladies on this phone and are my best friends, in these roles that generally speaking are categorized for white women or others. And I think that some of the, and, and I'll say this, part of me realizing my destiny took me a little longer and I had to get to a point where I am now where I'm in a managerial role, I have a seat at the table, I am influential, and I had to kind of claw my way up there because I didn't feel like it was my place to say, we need to be at HBCUs recruiting other talent like me because not every girl is as much of a hustler as I am to understand that moving across the country is a possibility. So I've got to be that person for her and for him. However, it's how do I make sure that people find value in what I find value in? And how do I drive them to make those decisions without seeming like I'm protecting my people? Because that's a bad thing in corporate America. Protecting your people and managing your Black community is not something that you are allowed to do. So you have to figure out a way to do it sort of sneakily and organically and you know all of those ways and just hustle regardless of the skin color and hire people and get creative. And then when you get that seat at the table, you're like, all right, because literally I'll say this, you know, I think I talked to, to all of you about this, but this was one of the first initiatives that I had at the beginning of the year. It was more regarding budget that I didn't think was a possibility, but I wanted to start to get to HBCUs because I wanted these schools in the South and on the East Coast to realize that moving to LA and moving to New York is a possibility because it doesn't seem like a possibility because we don't have the white connections to internships or the family members who allow you to sleep on their couch and do this work. We tend to have to work during the summer to provide for our next school year. So being the person who comes up and shows up with the Pfizer's and the targets and is present to say, Hey, I'm you. I was you. I was broke. <laughs> in the calf. And I'm LA and I did it. And, you know, and you do and hear your opportunities. So I think it's a slow build for mm-hmm. me now at the point in my career where I feel confident and comfortable that I have learned each and everything that I could as a barrel scraping recruiter. And now I can say, all right, these are the things we need to do. This is how I want to see my team. These are the type of people I want to see in my company. Why is advocating for Black people seen so poorly? We want to have diversity inclusion initiatives know that it's not specific to Black people, but I am going to be 
very real in our, my conversation with these ladies. This is about us. <laughs> this time that we are in right now is about us. We have every single right to claim it. We are screaming it from, you know, the top of our lungs. Yes. And now more than any, and, and Shay, I, I admire always the work that you do. And even I was even just surprised to hear that there are several black women, female leaders in your organization, just within HR I was like, hell yes. Oh my God. Can I get a job? Because, <laughs> and that's not how it is over here. But my, my point is, my point is, is that I think that right now is a beautiful time to say, well, you know what? This time is about us. And I am going to attempt to, you know, do what I can to bring more black people into the organization. And I'm saying that I'm saying that to me as an HR professional myself. I'm saying that to the recruiting team at my job <laughs> and any anyone else who is a leader, an employee, or has any type of influence in their organization. Now is the time they are looking for us and we should take advantage. And with that, I would say that. To any black woman, and and I think we are kind of starting today's conversation by speaking specifically about black women, because there is a difference in the minorities. Like, yes, you are absolutely not white, but there is a pyramid of minorities and black women is by far, black people are by far the lowest on the pyramid. We get that same type of racism and microaggression from Asian people. We get that same microaggression in that racism from Spanish people. We get it all. Latin X. So it is really and ultimately, and there is a certain sense of acceptance that comes to those other races that is never afforded and awarded to us. So this conversation is really to black people, but if you want to listen in as a non-black person, that's okay. So what I was going to say to that was (laughs) that to my black women, I would say do not be afraid to put yourself out there. I think that as Black women, we work really, really hard to get ourselves to be seen even in the same stratosphere as our counterparts in terms of corporate America. And a lot of times, and I get this a lot from my friends and from friends of friends and from distant people who are coming by me from candidates who are worried that they are not qualified because they read everything. And our white counterparts are looking at the first four bullet points and they're like, and I'm in, I'm qualified. And Black women, are looking at all 12 bullet points. And because we only have 11 of the bullet points, we do not think we are qualified. And I'm telling you this, put your name in the hat anyway, because your white counterpart is going to do it. And I guarantee your white counterpart is going to get an interview. So what's the difference from you doing it too? Because you never, we have to have that white boy energy, like that mediocre frat white boy energy. And they're like, you need a medical degree. I've been to the hospital. I'm fine. (laughs) Stephanie, tell them. Come on. I and know I what it is. And I deserve 20K more. And that's such a I that's biology in high school. <laughs> right. Where, where the job at? <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that is like a real statistic. As you said, Shay, and I, it, I just go back to it because white men will seriously read the first four bullets of a job description and automatically deem themselves qualified. And not only will they do that, but they're also going to ask for double Double what they're making. Of what they're making. 
currently, whether or not it's in out, out of range, they don't do the research or anything like they say, this is my value and this is what I'm going for. Yeah. And you have no idea how many women are like, well, I'm open. And, and, and I've heard it specifically for my minority women. They're like, well, I'm open to taking a pay cut and I might be able mm-hmm. to. And I'm like, no, ma'am. You are not going to take a pay cut. Oh you are going to ask me for more money. And let me tell you this right now on this phone call, because you're not going to have a recruiter that's as nice to you as I am. But don't ever say that again. Don't ever talk oh, about blessings to my baby. Yes. yes. work. I believe somebody's going to take a Lord's work. Not okay. And I was like, I know what that situation is like, where you come into a job and you're happy that they hired you. So when yes. they give you a new oh job, then ask Wow, girl. You took us to church to church. church. But you know what? This is my second time. This is like my second time in the pew because when we first had this conversation, <laughs> Shay, <laughs> when we first had this conversation a couple of weeks ago when we went out, you said exactly that and how you were educating women. I was like, where was I? Why haven't I encountered... <laughs> Just what a difference it would have made in my experience, in my job search, in what I'm making then, in what I'm making now, Mm -hmm. in what I know I'm capable of, in what I'm executing, in what I'm receiving. That would have made a world of difference. But to your point, that's why we need more Black women because in in positions like you and Chase, because you guys are asking the questions that are tied up with your own liberation. You Mm -hmm. are asking the questions that you know you wish somebody would ask on your behalf. Mm. White women are not doing that for us. White men don't even see us. And black men are trying to get up to the white man's level. So they oftentimes leave us in the dust. Mm. So it is a lot of the time women of color, specifically black women who are going to be like, what does this woman need to know for my liberation and her liberation? You know, and it's just like, it's why. I had so much admiration for that. I was like, holy Crap, like I'm sure you changed that woman's life. Okay, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever she was, you changed her life and you gave her a new perspective. And she was like, Oh, I think about that. I think about that every year. I have to increase my daily rate, and I think about the stuff you say to me, and I'm like, Don't preface it, don't say anything afterwards. There's no but. It's I raised my rate by 15, 20% this year. And that part, period, the end. I think those would definitely be my tips for Black women who are listening to this. It's ultimately be confident in yourself. And I know we we have heard this before, but I think we need to keep hearing it because it's, it's still not a learned or a natural posturing for us. But I think be confident in yourself, your skills and your ability, your background, your experience, all of it is valuable. And I definitely also think you know, the know your worth and ad tax and then some, because I think that's what everybody else does. And these are the major differences that dictate the socioeconomic standards of our generation. Like we need to keep stepping up. We need to keep giving back to the community. And we need to, the only way to do that is to keep pulling people up by the bootstraps and saying, hey, you deserve to be in this room. You deserve to have a seat because you have value because Mm -hmm. your perspective different and um, worthwhile. So you guys have touched on like the power of role models too. And I think there's some science behind that. I I know someone on an earlier episode talked about it related to women in tech and how if you don't see women in tech, then you don't grow up recognizing tech. And I think it's a similar, what you guys are talking about is that if you don't see yourself, if you don't have a Shay at your company telling you to ask for more, speak up in that meeting, advocate for yourself, then 
it, role model is such a, an important piece of this. A hundred percent, Lauren, because I think the other thing, Stephanie said this earlier, reach out to people. I've had so many people, black, white, whoever reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, hey, would you mind doing an informational interview? Or, hey, I saw that you were on the board of X, Y, or Z. Can you give me advice or career advice? Be bold, ask questions, ask for help. I think there's nothing more important than recognizing, hey, somebody has value that they may be able to add to my network or this person seems to be open. The worst they could do is not respond or say no that they can't help you. But I definitely think people should be looking for mentors, whether it's not necessarily people in your org, if you don't feel comfortable with that or there aren't any, like in some of our cases, look on the internet. I mean, I have been amazed with so many of the efforts and initiatives that Black women have taken to like the Share the Mic Now and all of those different initiatives from professional Black women that are saying, hey, we're here. We are open to having dialogue and conversation. Seek mentorship. It's a thousand percent critical. Which is different than white women seeking out your help to help their education on anti-Blackness, anti-racism. That is work that us white women need to do on their own. And there's a lot of education out there. It's not hard. You don't need to have, it's like having an informational interview with somebody and asking them like, what's your name? It's like, why take up their time to ask them something that you should and can research on your own? Mm, thank you. Thank you for that, Lauren. I think that speaks volumes when you are self-assertive and you are motivated and driven enough to go Google which is what, guess what, everyone? The Black community learned about the majority of slavery. We learned about how we got over here. We learned about uh, Holocaust. the Holocaust. We learned Civil about War. all of these things by Google. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry, I don't mean to be facetious and I don't mean oh, to be sarcastic, true. but it is a real tool. <laughs> so please. Between Google and Ava DuVernay, Dr. Netflix. Yes, Netflix has been crushing it. They have that Black Lives Matter tab. tab. Yes, selection. (laughs) When you go and watch your Black education and Black history for the day, don't ask me have I seen it. Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't give me a recap. (laughs) Don't tell me who you donated to. I don't need to know that. And don't ask me for a reading list and don't ask me for any type of community, a list of community organizations that you can put your pennies into. If you were really about it, you would find no. them and you would find the ones that are legitimate and you would do your research and they would connect to your values, your philosophies, your principles. And the other thing, because I was going to transition into how white people can be successful yes. supporting us, I was going to say, Remove your unconscious bias and the stereotypes that we talked about earlier in this conversation. The most important thing is that you give the same considerations that you give to white and non-white people without thought to mm. black men. So how we discuss diction, tone, the fact that we have to second guess every statement and every email before we send it because we are considering white fragility, right fragility in every movement that we make. You need to give the same type of courtesy that you give to white women to be their best and worst selves in meetings to black women at all times. So making sure that you realize that black people give to black culture, they give to black media, 
they give to the media, black people give to the media, they give to all the things surrounding you and that you need to take that in and be more open to what we have to say without the consequences that we sometimes reap when we are who we are, when the strong voice shows up at the table and we're considered angry, isn't that a stereotype? You need to remove the things that you think you know about us and start over. Period. Yes. Yes. And Shay, if I, if you don't mind, this is Jasmine, if you don't mind that I build off of that, you set it up so beautifully. You said that black people contribute to black culture, black people contribute to black media. So I encourage anyone who is in media who is just let's say targeting a black community in any way by it be it sales be it influence be it if you are tapping in to a black community or a black centric community so let's go as far as basketball football let's do dance specifically break dancing this sounds very personal and it is then you <laughs> please ensure please ensure that you have Black voices at the table when you are trying to penetrate these markets. You are fooling yourself. Yeah. I think feel you as though right. a group of white folks knows how best to define exactly or connect to that community to create buy-in. Make sure that you have those voices at the table. A thousand percent agree with you. I mean, that's one of the things that I face in being in retail all the time. It's that companies, I think, recognize, obviously, the depth and breadth of the black dollar, but then they're unwilling to figure out ways to actually earnestly and authentically connect with those communities. It's coming from a place of, oh, we'll, we'll launch this shoe, but maybe we won't put any money behind this story. Or will highlight the white designer who is over the entire category versus having, you know, a black designer say, hey, I, I designed and I made this shoe for my community and it was impactful because of X. Uh, I think that is horrible. What did you say, Jasmine? No, I was just saying that that sounds familiar to uh, Steph, your, your friend, who's the hair designer or hairdresser. Oh and my God. And that beautiful piece on... A on huge celebrity. Kim Kardashian's tragedy. Bam, 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 bam. Yes. Public people. She definitely did Kim Kardashian's hair in Paris and tagged her white hairstylist as the stylist of the braids. And it's like crazy. But like to Nevia's point, I feel like you must have to fight for black culture so just to exist, like they want the culture, they don't want the blackness. So you're now like fighting for the blackness to show up in the retail, right? Yeah, for the, for it's we need the representation, we need the support, we need an, an actual acknowledgement of being authentic in our community versus just pandering. It's a really difficult space for retailers a lot of times to navigate. It's unfortunate. But it could be solved if they just brought Black people to the boardroom um, and on the, the product review boards. Because you would be, I'm surprised and appalled at how many tone deaf, culturally insensitive pieces still make it to the doors that have gone through so many levels of approvals and nobody noticed. Because yep. they have no Black people. They have no Black people. <laughs> That's why Nancy Pelosi was wearing a Kente cloth on her knee. She doesn't have any yeah. Black. Right. Nobody right. told her no Black. 
black feedback. Seriously. We want more black feedback. That's so, like my protest song. And as I'm watching the clock countdown, I think I actually did write something because I was thinking about this a little earlier this week, but... And, and it wasn't in connection to this necessarily, but I think for our white allies, right, and the ones who want to be our allies, they need to have our backs, but they need to not have my back when I'm at the table. So what I don't need you to do is speak up for me or stand up for me in the presence of the other people. Like, I don't want you to do that because then Thank I won't fight my battle. I've done, Thank I've you. gotten here and this far by fighting the battle myself. But what I do need you to do is pull your white executives to the side mm-hmm. and give them that education. And now because you're educated, right? Because you self-educated yourself, you need to give them that education and have them acknowledge what they have done to hurt our people. Right. And kind of get them to commit to existing more carefully and more intentionally. And then I think I have this one little quote that I wrote down because I was reading this woman. Her name is Rachel Cargill. I'm sure Stephanie, you know, she's mm, yeah. all right. Mm-hmm. An article in people recently. And she was saying that, and she's a writer an academic, she's a lecturer, all the things. And she was saying, we're not looking for people to say, we see you. We're looking for, we're looking to, for you to say, we're beside you to up in the system. Yeah. So also, white allies, as you are educating yourselves, you need to be talking to the people that we are not quite comfortable speaking to yet. We're helping to push the agenda that Black people and Black women matter. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then yes. create like the enabling environment is what you're saying. Like our allies don't need to speak on our behalf, create the, the enabling environment for me to shine bright. Like yeah. that's it. Talk to who you need to talk, talk to, do what you need to do. Don't tell me about it. Act like this is part of your day job, that it's part of your job to create an enabling environment. Mm-hmm. And even like, I also think about you and Jasmine Shea as recruiters in HR and as a recruiter, like, how do you guys tell black people like, Hey, we don't have an enabling environment for black folks Mm -hmm. here. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you, are you honest with them? I mean, you Mm -hmm. want more black people, but you also are like, we don't have the tools. We don't have the tools to allow this black woman to thrive. And I'll tell you, I had a whole situation at my previous company. So my previous company actually didn't tell people anything. And thank Mm -hmm. God the brand was well known enough that it wasn't necessarily something people cared that much about until I had a circumstance where a super, super talented black woman came to interview with us and she was awesome. And the woman, her white woman boss was like, oh my God, I have to hire her. She's amazing. And we were like, okay, she's got to go through one more step. And I knew that step could be make or break because the former owners of the company I used to work for are inherently, unfortunately racist. So I took a chance on having this girl come back and meet with this owner and the minute that the owner walked, and, and mind you, she had gotten non-color feedback, like, oh my God, this girl's so talented, I can't wait for you to meet her, et cetera, et cetera. This white woman was none the wiser of what I already knew was going to come. So as soon as she walked in the room and saw that the woman across the table that her you know, fave had been raving about was black, she turned on her heels and walked back out. And in fact, from that moment, the black girl knew exactly what was happening. And she sued us. Wow. And she should. And she sued us because she was like, I know that you were discriminating against me. And all I could do was speak my piece. 
Yeah. And, and I was in a really tough situation because I am there to protect the company. That's what you do when you're in HR is mm-hmm. you're there to protect the company. But as a black woman and as someone who is sort of bringing this woman into the company, I also have to do the right thing by her. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's doing it. She warned me, this is going to come. I said, do your thing. I cannot incriminate mm-hmm. the situation that we're in, but I will validate what happened because I was there. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things where, and that was, I mean, I think I stayed another year after that, but that thought never left me. And and happily, I'm in the company now where they don't see color, which I don't know is a good thing, but it's like, you're not in any like really confrontational or uncomfortable situations on a regular basis. We have spurts of it here and there. And most of those people are removed immediately. But it's one of the things that I can tell people when I say, look, you will be include, you know, included and feeling inclusive. But it is one of those things where you're not going to necessarily be recognized for being Black, but you will not be ostracized for being Black. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that's an interesting note to end on. And luckily, we are back for second episode of this series, which is going to be on the topic of black women in the world. Thank you, Shay, Jasmine, uh, Nevia and Stephanie for sharing your voices and stories today. It's been incredibly eye opening and learning for me. And I know that for our audience, it's going to be the same. I just want to say thank you. Any final words or any thing you want to add on the workplace topic that we're covering? I feel like we laid it on the table, right? I think yeah. thank you guys for listening. I'm spent. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I know it takes a lot to come on a podcast and share this. So, so thank you. Thank you, Shay. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you both so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and leave us a review. We absolutely love hearing from you all. Plus, stay tuned for future episodes in our special series, Black Women In. And a big thank you to my girls, Jasmine, Nevia, and Stephanie for lending their voices and stories to this episode. Lastly, I want to remind you all that Shay is one of our incredible career coaches through our service called Hire a Mentor. If you're feeling like it's time to invest in some one-on-one personalized career coaching, but don't know where to start, we've got you covered and you can learn more about Hire a Mentor in the show notes. Plus, we're giving away one career coaching session that's a $200 value to one lucky winner. To enter, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us one thing you learned since listening to the Females Podcast. And don't forget to include your Instagram handle or your Twitter handle. You just mentioned that it's Twitter or Instagram so that we can contact you if you're the winner. The winner will be selected on August 18th and non-US residents can join this giveaway. 